I think uh, something that's important to to remember is that we're all in this together. And I think the clients now that after the pandemic, people in general are starting to have a slightly different appreciation for logistics and supply chain. And as you mentioned before, when you started the show, now we go to the shelves and we sometimes wonder, well, why don't we have enough of this or that? Or where does it come from? And before logistics was not really front and center, uh, despite the fact that it has always been critical to economic growth. So, so at least something good that we have uh, been able to get out of the pandemic and the challenges that we have been facing is the fact that supply chain now is a little bit more uh, recognized and people are paying more attention to it. I'm George Siegel, and this is the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Every week, we introduce you to people who are working on real-world problems and providing actual solutions. Tell Us How to Make It Better is partnering with The Readiness Lab, the home for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's Tell Us How to Make a Better podcast. Every week, I try to introduce you to somebody who has identified a problem and is doing something to try to make it better. Well, what we're going to talk about today is something I'm sure most of you have felt in one way or another, and that involves the supply chain. There are things that we buy, things that we want on a daily basis that just don't seem to be there. You want to find somebody to blame, you get frustrated with it, and it can really be a challenging thing to deal with, not just for us, but for the people that are actually trying to get the stuff here. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Enrique Alvarez is the co-founder and managing director of Vector Global Logistics, a supply chain and logistics company dedicated to world-class service, a results-only mindset, and social impact. He's proud to say that Vector's success and growing impact has been built on their results-based culture a passionate team and their desire to truly partner with clients. Enrique, welcome. Thanks for coming on today. George, thank you very much for having me. This is great and a big honor. I'm excited to, uh, to our conversation today. Excellent. I got a lot of questions for you, but I like to start off the podcast first for people that are just being introduced to you. Uh, tell us something about you that most people probably don't know. Well, I'm originally from Mexico City. I love uh, soccer or football, I guess, the way the rest of the world calls it. Uh, very passionate about it. I still play. That would be one thing. Very cool. Yeah, soccer. It just it, no matter what happens, it never just seems to blow up in this country beyond kids playing. But on a world stage, that's the sport. I think it's growing in the states too, though. I'm super happy to actually witness that process since I got here to the U.S. Uh, in 2004, and and it's growing really, really fast. Um, I'm excited about that. Yeah, and I understand that the. Um... The U.S. team just qualified, I, I think, for the Olympics again or the World Cup. Is it qualified for the, the World, World Cup? I think they're both uh, World Cup and Olympics. And, of course, the uh, better national team we have has so always been the women's team. Yes. They have worn pretty much everything. But it's a, it's a fun sport. It's growing fast. And, uh, yeah, definitely interesting to, to see the World Cup this year as well. Excellent. And if you could do one thing today for fun, you'd say, hey, Enrique, you don't have to work today. What would you go out and do? I'll probably go, uh, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's incredibly hot and humid. I'll probably just try to go find a pool and swim. Excellent. Well, we're taking up your time right now, so you can't do that. No swimming. <laughs> no Plus, swimming I also you. have to work, but yes. Okay, so as I've looked into what you do, and I know you, you, you probably hear this all the time, as, as consumers, as, as regular everyday people, we look at the shelves in stores, we look at the prices of things, and we go, why is there not enough supply? Well, you happen to be in the delivery of supplies business uh, with, with shipping and getting things to where they need to go. So how are you tackling this problem and making it better for all of us? 
Well, it has been a challenging problem for the last couple of years, as everyone knows. The pandemic kind of came to, uh, no one expected the pandemic, and it caused serious disruptions around, uh, across the supply chain of many, many different companies. So without getting into all the details right now, I mean, how can we make this better? It's probably a combination of things. Right now, the ports are very congested. There's not enough truck drivers. There's not enough equipment. Uh, and yet we continue to um, buy and order products. So it's it's a combination of demand has to slowly come down a bit. We need to find more truck drivers and we need to try to continue planning ahead, maybe having better forecasting tools, maybe upgrading or, or trying to have better inventory planning strategies as opposed to the just-in-time that we all kind of wanted to incorporate in our supply chains and it just it didn't work. Well, now, as everybody always wants somebody to blame. Right. You know, we want to be able to point the finger and say, it's that guy's fault. It's that person's fault. It's the president's fault. It's Congress. It's somebody. Who's the villain here? Well, honestly, I don't think there's like a villain. I think that there's, again, uh, it's the it's been the perfect storm for the last couple of years, right? Everything started with the, the trade wars and then uh, the pandemic again. We can't blame anyone for the pandemic. I think it was just uh, something that no one was expecting. Uh, and then after that, the containers were in the wrong place of the world when they needed to be loaded in China. So there was like a huge shortage of containers to be loaded. And then the ports, once China started loading containers coming into the U.S., the ports in the U.S. were not able to unload the containers as fast as they were sending them. So it started to build up this incredible uh, congestion at our ports. I, It's hard to really blame someone. I think it's just... Uh, something that we should all handle and try to improve as, uh, as a whole world, not even countries. I think this is a, a very international problem to, to resolve. How do you spin that to your clients when they're standing on the shoreline and they see that freighter sitting <laughs> offshore and a hundred others behind it, like uh, stack parking in, in, in a city? There's no easy way to kind of spinning uh, that. Plus, we're a logistics company. We don't really own the vessels. We cannot speed the vessels, uh, as, as some clients have suggested. I'm like, why can't you guys go? I'm like, we cannot. It's one, it's, you have 10, 20 containers on top of a vessel that has 10,000. There's no way we can do anything other than just wait until it verts and then gets unloaded. But uh, I think uh, something that's important to to remember is that we're on this together. And I think the clients now that after the pandemic, people in general are starting to have a slightly different appreciation for logistics and supply chain. And as you mentioned before, when you started the show, now we go to the shelves and we sometimes wonder, well, why don't we have enough of this or that? Or where does it come from? And before logistics was not really front and center, uh, despite the fact that it has always been critical to economic growth. So so at least something good that we have uh, been able to get out of the pandemic and the challenges that we have been facing is the fact that supply chain now is a little bit more uh, recognized and people are paying more attention to it. Well, there's no question about that. And I think one of the areas that, that, that personally I've noticed it, I always like to get different cars and I'm a big uh, car buff. When I've gone into certain dealerships, there's parts they just can't get. So you think of a car as one entire piece that they're just putting together somewhere. Right. But there's little chips or transformers or things that go in it that they say they're not able to get. So they're now selling the car without those features that that would have activated. Um, so it's a lot more complicated than just a freighter full of TVs. 
Absolutely, right? And, and and our supply chains are so complex these days because we're manufacturing all these different parts in different parts of the world, and then we're ensembling them uh, somewhere else, and then shipping them, and then finally delivering them to the end user somewhere else too. So it's it's a little complex, uh, but I think it just uh, reinforces the notion that we're all in this world together. We have to work together, and we have to see this again as one of those critical international problems that we have to resolve as a team. Well, as a company, when you hear the cry for, well, let's make, let's build more stuff in America. Let's not rely on getting things from other places. How does that affect the planning that you do, knowing that if that happened, logistics change in what you guys do? Yeah, logistics will change and they will can, they have already been changing. Uh, as a matter of fact, like a lot of companies are trying to nearshore their production. Uh, so instead of manufacturing in China, because we all saw that the lead times from China are longer. They're starting to maybe manufacture either here in the US or Canada, Mexico, somewhere closer. So you can at least have some um, hedging opportunities when something like this happens again, if it were to happen again. So it would change a lot. It's not something that uh, worries me particularly uh, because at the end of the day, logistics has always been a component to everything we do, and it will continue to be a component. Even if we manufacture more things in the U.S., uh, it will still require shipping and delivery and warehousing and uh, just planning in general. What are the challenges you face, for example, with China trying to get things out of there? I mean, if you have a company that wants to get something out of there, and you're now in charge of working to make that happen. How difficult is that? Yeah, so right now we have a we have a team, our own team in, in China, and we have a very unique results-based mentality. So for us, it has always been about getting things done and making sure that we work as hard as we can for our clients. So we have been definitely struggling, but we have been able to, to get space. The main problem before, uh, maybe six to 10 months ago, it was the space availability. So there were no containers to be loaded. And then the other big problem was China's zero tolerance policy with coronavirus. So if there were a couple of cases, they would shut down Shanghai, the ports, the airport, the airports. And uh, we saw that like a month, two ago. Um, so that's another very challenging scenario that you really, once they're shut down, there's not much you can do other than just make sure that you, you get the equipment and the bookings and everything ready. So that when they do open up, you're, at the front of the line. Probably have to have a good crisis manager on the staff to, to go it's, to the client. Uh, I feel like everyone and everyone in our team and everyone in everyone working in logistics these days is already a crisis expert because uh, uh, it's a very dynamic industry. And, and that's why I really enjoy it so much. And that's why we like it a lot. We're specializing in uh, expedited shipping and automotive industry, which even more um, critical that things get there on time. Otherwise you'll be stopping a plant or you'll be stopping a manufacturing line somewhere. So it's, uh, it's interesting, it's challenging, but we really like it. One of the things I found that was missing because I love Audis as a car. Right. When I went into the dealership, they said, oh, the backup camera and the blind spot mirrors will not be available for the next <laughs> couple of months on these models. And I said, oh, great. So when the chip comes in, you can just, I can come in and you can pop it in the car and, and, and they go, no, you won't have those features. Oh. So you think about the trickle down, they could conceivably not sell any of those cars for a couple of months because those little parts couldn't come in. Yeah, I know it's, it's, it's incredible. And especially you mentioned the, the chips, that's been a really, really big problem, not only for the 
automotive industries, but aerospace and tons of other industries that rely on microprocessors. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been challenging, but I, uh, I feel like uh, people are starting to understand how to resolve it and everyone's working hard to actually get it done. So I don't want to be like too pessimistic here on your show either. No, I understand that. I mean, I, you know, and, and certainly I wouldn't hold you up as anybody to, <laughs> to blame in this. I'm just speaking from the frustration of, yes, you don't, we don't realize how much we need it until we don't have Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And you get a much better appreciation of the things you have, hopefully. Uh, at least that, that's what I'm trying to tell my kids. Because um, two things for me, and this is more of a personal comment, but I don't think we need as many things as we think that we need. That's one. And then two, we are not as thankful for the things that we already have as we should either. So and those two things combined over the pandemic and the last couple of years, I feel have just made us uh, grumpier, maybe <laughs> less patient. Safe to say. Clearly, we take a lot of things for granted. I mean, there's for no sure. question. You just assume you pick something up and it's going to work. You don't Correct. think about all the things inside that that make it work. Correct. So you, you, you look at the problem. Let's say that. So we're identifying the problem as supply chain. We need to get things here as an organization. Then the, the question I would say is, tell us what you do on a daily basis to, to make it better. Yeah. And so it all goes back to our culture. We're a results-based culture, which basically means we have taken the time and space component out of the equation and we're measuring performance by results and results only. So every single person that works with us has a certain set of uh, requirements and goals that they have to accomplish. And as long as they are accomplishing them, we don't really care about the rest. So what we're doing is taking that time and space component out, which gives our employees a lot more power to go and do whatever they need to do. And this, whatever it needs to, whatever they need to do goes from either uh, conference calls with China late at night to uh, working a little bit on Saturdays, Sundays. I mean, just doing whatever you need to do both on with our suppliers, our agents and our clients to minimize the problems. But uh, day, day to day for us, starts early here in the US, but our team in China had already been working the entire night trying to get bookings for our clients. They would send us a couple of emails saying, hey, we got all these bookings. And then it's all us trying to then talk to the client, uh, trying to come up with creative ways of uh, routing some of the shipments. Before it was easier, um, China to Long Beach, uh, Shanghai to Long Beach is the fastest. And then if you had to go to the East Coast, you went through New York or Savannah. But as the pandemic hit, and then as the ports got congested, then you started looking for creative ways of shipping, sometimes via Seattle, sometimes via Houston, and then you truck it or then you rail it. Or sometimes uh, you even had to airship some things that usually were shipped by ocean. So it's, it's been a combination of things. But again, I, the, kind of answering your question, it's all about having a very engaged, committed and professional team. And that's what I'm most proud of uh, working with them. Yeah, I would think you'd have to be incredibly creative to figure out ways to do that. And when we talk about obstacles you face in making it better, all the things you're talking about ultimately affect the cost. If right. you have to, right. if you can't just put it on a ship and get it to Long Beach, but now you have to fly it and drive it and do all these different right. things, you have to be very concerned about how that's going to affect the price. Which we've seen, right? Um, it's just, yeah, prices are skyrocketing. Uh, everything's costing a lot more to ship. And then on top of that, you have the gas uh, problem and the war in Ukraine. And it's just all compounded into, um, yeah, different challenges for the logistics operators out there trying to figure out how to ship things efficiently and without uh, 
yeah, without overpaying for things. Do customers, uh, the, the people that are doing the shipping really care about why it's not here as much as the fact that it's just not here? They, that mindset has been changing. Uh, I, I, I would like to say that before customers and rightfully so they don't care, right? They just want their products where they need to be. And that's why we're here. That's the kind of company we are. So we just had to deliver. But as the pandemic evolved and as the war started and all these different things started getting more uh, attention from the media, the clients are, I think, a little bit more uh, educated when it comes to what's going on. And so they have become, some of them still under a lot of pressure, uh, still blame some of the logistics providers, but most of them are actually starting to realize that we're on this together. It's a team. There are certain things that you can't really change. So you have to be a little bit more understanding. And, and above all, you have to then do the same things with your clients, right? So if you're Audi, then you have to start talking to people like yourself and starting to try to explain to them why they don't have those uh, chips. And that's why they won't have the rear cameras. So I, I feel like people are more uh, educated in general, which is definitely something that that's helping a lot. I imagine it really is a wake up. I mean, you, you see the tragic things that are happening in Ukraine and, and, and you just feel for those people. And you probably have never really thought about all the things that came out of there that right. actually affect our lives. Absolutely. I, yes. Uh, we're, we're so, the world is so interconnected, right? That, that we just have to realize that that's not going to change. It will just continue to be like that. And even though we try hard to, to uh, pay attention to the differences between countries and people. I mean, at the end of the day, if you'd really take a look at the day-to-day and be super practical about this, we're all super connected by now and the economies, the supply chains, the markets, the uh, consumers. So, and, and we'll just continue to be that way because that's just the way it will work in the future. Can you share an example of an interesting way you got something here that might've benefited people that they might not know about? Yeah, of course. Uh, when the pandemic started, one of you starting to use different ports was uh, a good way of doing that. And so we started using the Houston port, for example, when you normally would ship via Savannah or New York, which is not the most exciting or super creative thing ever because it's uh, it's also not rocket science by any means. The other thing is uh, something that our, we did with our partners in China when the equipment, so there were a huge container shortage. So our partners started using what's called cheaper owned containers, which are they they had their own containers and they started manufacturing and buying containers. So we would use we would go and buy containers in China, offer those containers to our clients because everyone was scrambling to get containers. There were not enough containers in the market. They were somewhere else other than China because of the PPE shipments beforehand. And so we would buy the containers, use them to ship our clients' products deliver them into the U.S. and then resell them here in the U.S. to companies that would then just outfit those containers and do different things, either from storage to you probably have seen some uh, buildings and architects using shipping containers. Uh, I know you've seen this, but there, there's really cool uh, architectural designs out there using shipping containers. And uh, so I, th- I thought that was kind of interesting and, and cool. We bought containers ship and then sold containers here and try to make it work so that the client could have their products on time. Well, I would think if you have a container shortage, the last thing you'd want to do is see that show. I think it's on HGTV where they're building houses and buildings out of shipping containers. And it's like, stop, we need those containers for shipping products. I got to say they look really cool though, but yes, you're right. 
They do. And the things they do on there, it's so creative. It's, it, it's pretty impressive. Um, so what advice would you have for other people who are dealing with maybe it's logistics issues, problems, things they want to be a problem solver, but they're just not jumping into it. You have to deal with this stuff every day. What would you, what advice would you give people? Well, I think um, the first one is just patience. I think you have to understand uh, the challenges that we're facing and you have to understand that everyone's going through the same things. So approaching the problem with certain degree of patience, I think always helps. Uh, the other thing in general, uh, not just for logistics, but in general is if you work with, work with good people, work with companies that care, work with companies that really know what they're doing. And hopefully also, if you have, if you're a business owner or you have your own team, then really try to empower your employees. Cause at the end of the day, they are the ones that are making this world really uh, work. Um, those would be my suggestions. Do you guys have any projections of how you think things are going to start to get better in yeah, the we, future? We, we do. And uh, I think first signal is the price of a container. Like uh, before the pandemic, you could ship a container from Shanghai to New York for maybe $3,500 to $4,000 uh, on the shipping. Uh, during the worst part of the pandemic, that jumped up to like $25,000. Uh, and now we're at 12. So you can see it will never come down to three, 500 anymore. I feel like those days are long gone and we'll actually have to um, get a, a new normal. We will never get us uh, before the pandemic, uh, at least not in the next five years. But uh, right now you're starting to see demand slowing down. You're starting to see inflation kicking in. You're starting to see prices going down and the shipping side of things. And you start to see ports being less congested. So not sure if this will take uh, one or two years. It's not going to happen in the next three to four months. So it's, it's a longer term recovery. Uh, and I think the sequel of what we've faced during the pandemic will be will be felt for a while. It'll probably be a couple of years. Might be faster for me to fly over to China and get the chip myself and then bring it to Yes, Audi it would. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned that because there's actually services out there that we provide that do just that. They're called hand carriers and not with chips. We haven't really done that with chips, but uh, all other things we have actually just flown our own employees all over the world because it was cheaper to go pick up, uh, for example, a, a piece of equipment at the NEMAC facility down in Mexico, fly to Detroit. The easiest way was to just pay a roundway ticket to someone to go pick it up in Monterey, jump on a plane, deliver it in Detroit, and then fly back. So I know it was kind of have a joke there, but yeah, it's been, it's been part of what we've been doing too. That's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. It's also kind of sad that it, it ends yeah. up like that, but yeah. we're back to human couriers, but I guess you got to do what you got to do. To your point, it's super expensive, right? We shouldn't sure. really be doing that. But if you have no other options, then that is still a better option. Absolutely. Well, listen, Enrique, thank you so much for, for coming on today and, and, and explaining this stuff. I'll, I'll be a little less frustrated now when I go to the store because <laughs> uh, I'll understand more about what's going on behind the scenes. But, um, you know, continued success. I hope all this smooths out quickly. Thank you, George. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on today's Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. If you enjoyed what you were listening to, please become a regular follower of the podcast, share it with your friends, and even leave a review. That would be really helpful. And if you have any ideas for future episodes in the show notes, there's a direct link that you can reach me at with 
ideas for future shows or just comments about what you were listening to. And I always enjoy hearing your feedback and hearing what you have to think. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.